0: Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla and I'm here with Kristen. Heyo. Each episode we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption and then we tell you what we learned. Fuck ups and all. So this is the second half of our two-parter about seafood. I'm still kind of tired from the last one. It was so
1: sad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Seafood. Not as fun as it sounds. (laughs) How are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling good. Yeah. Um, I mean, I tried to do... I, I don't know whether we want to talk about my challenge an hour later, but um, I was trying <laughs> to do part of it today, and uh, I, like, set off the fire alarm, so, you know. <laughs> <gasps> what? What happened? Okay, no, now you have to tell me. <laughs> okay, yeah, so uh, my challenge for this week, because I'm already vegetarian, it seemed counterproductive to... Um, have me eat seafood for this challenge. I really didn't (laughs) want to do that. Which is why I (laughs) fell on the
0: sword on that. I fell on that one.
1: (laughs) So yeah, what I tried to do instead was to make some like popular seafood dishes as vegan alternatives. And I had varying degrees of success with that. (laughs) So the one that resulted in the fire alarm, I didn't set anything actually on fire, but I'm not really used to (laughs) to frying things, like, in, like, deep-fried oil, like, usually my position is I'm just going to let a restaurant do that because they'll do it better and also my whole apartment won't smell like oil afterwards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but times being what they are, <laughs> yeah, times <laughs> you decided to go for it.
1: Yeah, so I tried to do this one recipe that was... Um, It was basically supposed to be fried fish, um, fried battered fish, but instead it used artichokes. So the secret ingredient to all fish alternative recipes, by the way, seems to be seaweed. You just put seaweed in it and then it tastes like the sea. (laughs) But yeah, so I, I had attempted to do that. And like most of the recipe came out well. But then after I had taken all of the artichoke pieces out, the like oil... They were, like, little burnt bits at the bottom because they hadn't quite been enough oil for it to float. And even though I had the heat off, it, like, continued to burn, and then suddenly my apartment was smoky, and I wasn't even noticing because I was, like, eating the food. Um, and then the fire alarm goes off, and I'm, like, in this mad scramble to, like, uh, move my plants so I can get my window open, and then, like, had a towel, like, waving in the air <laughs> to try to get the fire alarm to turn off, and then I, like, <laughs> I brought... The oil into my bathtub and put like my the pot on top of uh, like, uh, you know, one of those things that prevents it from melting things. Mm -hmm. And it just sat in there when I had the fan on and eventually it all worked out. But it sounds like an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. So that I would classify as the biggest catastrophe of the three. So (laughs) did it
0: taste okay?
1: Uh, it was okay, but it tasted more like fried artichokes than it did fried fish. So I'll give myself like a C plus on that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the other two were, I think, much better. Um, so one of them was uh, I tried to do fried calamari with uh, oyster mushrooms, and that turned out really, really good. It tasted almost identical to my memory of the original anyway. And uh, it the only thing is like, Taking a knife and, like, cutting oyster mushrooms into rings is, like, a fucking process, I'll tell you, to cook a really long time. Yeah,
0: I saw your pictures on Instagram, and I was like, well, that looks like more work than it's worth. Yeah,
1: (laughs) the the recipe recommends uh, using, like, a small circular cookie cutter, uh, which probably saves a lot of time, but I didn't have one, so. And then the last one I did was bagels and lox with, like, carrots instead of uh, salmon. And you made the bagels from scratch. I did. I made everything from scratch, actually. Although cream cheese is, like, super easy. You just throw cashews in a blender. But, yeah, the bagels took a long time, and they're sort of interesting. Like, I didn't realize that for, like, New York-style bagels, maybe all bagels, I don't know, you boil them first, and I don't know, it was just weird. Uh, (laughs) I know, and then you texted me at, like, 1 a.m. your time, and you're
0: like, I just made bagels, and I'm like, what time is it right now where you are?
1: (laughs) Yeah, um the things I do for this podcast kind of, like, <laughs> <laughs> amazing i ate like I ate the bagel locks for three consecutive meals yesterday though so <laughs>
0: well that's the thing about like when you make stuff from scratch and you live alone is like well I guess I'm eating this for the next four days straight
1: yep <laughs> so yeah that was my experience I would say the fried fish was not as successful although I've probably heard of other recipes where you use like tofu or whatever or jackfruit and that would probably work better than the artichokes
0: jackfruit has like a really meaty texture to it that would probably make it really good if you just made it super salty it's like oh yeah this is basically fish
1: yeah i think so too so like i guess my conclusion is like yeah that'll do ya. you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: Great, we can that's our episode folks we We solved it, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but I mean, I don't know it's been so long since I've eaten fish that like I'm maybe an it's the same thing with like beyond burgers or whatever, like yeah, it tastes to me like beef, but oh, you'd have to try it out on somebody that eats beef more regularly, I think to really tell same with these, I guess all right, do you wanna get into the research for this one?
0: Yes, what are we talking about on this episode, please? Please let me know and that say that it's nicer.
1: <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it, it, part of it's bleaker, and then it gets nicer again. So Okay,
0: so we just have to power through. Got it.
1: Power through, yeah. So the first topic is going to be looking at animal welfare a little bit. And uh, so last episode, we talked about the environmental harms of fish farming. And I'll talk about some of the harms of that, as well as wildcatch. Um, what happens when you're actually catching the fish? Then, after that, I've got a section on human rights, which is actually a huge issue in fishing. And then, after that, we kind of get to the more fun solutions side. So, that'll be a lot lighter. Yay! <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. Well, I feel like we kind of, oh, man, didn't we already cover f- animal cruelty? Like, kind of just goes hand in hand, like murdering all these side species, just trying to catch that one. Like, what did you say? It was like 14 fish die for every fish caught in one country or something like that. And it's like, well, that just falls under animal cruelty, surely. Yeah.
1: So there's more? There's more, sorry.
0: <laughs> oh, great.
1: <laughs> yeah. So do you want to dig into that and get it out of the way? Yes, please. Let's start with that. <laughs> I think if people will remember our vegetarianism episode, there are kind of two issues when you look at animal welfare and um, and fish. So the first one is a question of whether it's ever okay to eat a living being that feels pain. The second is, given how we catch and farm fish, is it justified on welfare grounds? Because we talked about the first bit in a lot of detail in vegetarianism, I think we'll just skip that. Um, And people can like go back to that episode if they're curious about those arguments. Um, And we'll just focus really on the the welfare arguments.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of cover the whole thing there. Like, is it moral to eat something that feels pain? And I mean, I feel like Even if you choose to do it, on some level, you must recognize that not really. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's how I feel. I'm like, yeah, this is something immoral that I'm doing, but I'm gonna do it anyways because I'm tired and I need that protein kick that I just can't get from tofu. I don't know.
1: That's not an excuse. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'll just also quickly say that um, seafood we talked about this last uh, um on the last half of the episode, but it encapsulates a really wide variety of animals and they have very different capacities and levels of intelligence. So some fish like octopus are really, really intelligent. And, you know, most seafood has been demonstrated uh, to be sort of like they're social creatures, they have demonstrated pain responses. So there's this, I think there's this instinct that like, seafood or fish are are sort of less sentient than land animals and that's not true. The one exception to this might be bivalves. So bivalves are basically like they're a grouping of marine and freshwater mollusks and um basically the category it's just like the things that are in like the two shelves that open and close. If if it's one <laughs> of those, it's a bivalve.
0: Oh, because it's a it's uh wait. Because is is a valve, is it when it opens and closes?
1: (laughs) I did not look up the etymology of bivalves for my research, and I don't feel bad about it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sorry, asking all the important questions over here. (laughs) Carry on.
1: No, I would be curious. I just don't know. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, uh, some common bivalves you might have eaten before are oysters, clams, mussels, and scallops. So, There's very little evidence to suggest that there's any sort of consciousness in bivalves. And the fact that they don't move is suggestive that, like, it would have been not evolutionarily valuable for them to develop a pain response. So they probably don't feel pain, is the best idea that we have so far. So if you're eating bivalves um, on animal cruelty grounds, you probably, like, that's probably okay. I mean, it comes down to everybody's own personal judgment, but. I don't personally see any um, any moral harm to eating bivalves, given that we don't really think they have most of the characteristics we care about in, eat, like animal cruelty. Fair enough, yeah. So yeah. Um, but for all the other seafood, um, there's sort of this idea that maybe wild caught fish is more ethically okay. Because really, they're living a normal life for their species until the moment that they're killed, or the moments where they're sort of in the process of being killed. And that's like a really strong point to a certain extent, but I think it's also balanced against the fact that um, the death of a wild-caught fish is pretty horrific, so I'm going to talk about it a little bit. So there's essentially no such thing as humane slaughter for wild-caught fish, Um, so... One example is like um, if you think about long line fishing, which is essentially just like a more um, fancy version of if you had like a fishing pole. It's like much more intense than that, but more or less like there's a, a long line that goes into the water and fish are hooked and then they get brought into the boat. So um, for that kind of fishing, fish are essentially hooked and they spend hours trying to escape. Um, and then after many hours, they're hauled on board and then they die either by being clubbed to death um, or they have their gills cut out and they sort of bleed to death.
0: Wow, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Although, have you ever been fishing? No. My dad used to take me when we were kids. It was an activity I always hated, but that I was really good at for some reason. (laughs) So, like, my dad and my brother and I, I remember this one time, it's like a really traumatic event from my childhood, but we were fishing on this little like, you know, rowboat. And I kept catching fish and they weren't catching anything, which was annoying for all of us, frankly. (laughs) (laughs) And my dad had forgotten his club. So whenever I caught a fish, he just beat it to death on the side of the boat. It was like just, oh, and then there was one that he thought was dead. And then a few minutes later, we saw it like wriggling around under the seat. And I was like, dad, that one's not dead yet. And he had to beat it again. And, uh, yeah, maybe I should talk to a therapist about that,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it sounds really brutal, but I think it highlights this um this problem when it comes to fish that really any way that we conventionally go about fishing is a really horrific death, and it's a kind of death that actually, if you applied the rules of factory farming on land, it wouldn't be allowed. it would be considered inhumane so given that it's i mean it's it's just kind of fucked up, I think. I've got another quote about trawling. We talked about that last time. That's the like the nets that go along the bottom of the water.
0: Yeah, that's the one where they they bulldoze a rainforest to catch a couple birds was what the uh, analogy
1: was. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So um, here, I'll just I'll take that quote on, on what a death is like for a fish from trawling. So in trawlers, hundreds of different species are crushed together, gashed on corals, bashed on rocks for hours, and then hauled from the water, causing painful decompression. The decompression sometimes causes the animal's eyes to pop out or their internal organs to come out of their mouths. Oh uh. <laughs> yeah. On long lines, too, the deaths that animals face are generally slow. Some are simply held there and die only when they're removed from the lines. Some die from the injury caused by the hooks in their mouths or by trying to get away. Some are unable to escape attack by predators. No fish gets a good death, not a single one. You never have to wonder if the fish on your plate had to suffer. It did. Um, And yeah, then also just a quick reminder that bycatch is always a thing, or almost always a thing when it comes to the fish that you're eating. So it's not just that... So basically, instead of going to
0: like a slaughterhouse and being killed humanely, they die from trauma and just whatever form that happens to end in, like, whether it's their eyeballs popping out of their heads or being beaten against the bottom of their rainforest, being torn apart. Oh, God. Yeah. But I think there there is, like, I don't know, I was listening to another podcast. I think it was the Wall Street Journal's Future of Everything, which, I don't know, they're not paying us, but everyone should go listen to it. It's great. (laughs) I think they had an episode on, like, fishing and how there is, like, a humane way to kill fish. It's just that, Nobody's doing it because there's no regulation, but I would listen to it like two years ago, so I don't know if that's
1: true. Yeah, all the evidence that I was able to find was that the deaths are pretty painful. It may be the case that there is technology that's been developed, but not like conventionally applied. It can't be good for like the meat, right? Like an animal
0: that dies in distress is going to have worse meat. I think that's what the episode that I was listening to, if I can find it, I'll share it on Twitter. But they were talking about how if you killed the, the fish more humanely, it would taste better and last for longer as well.
1: Yeah, but this is an industry where they're not even selling you the species that's advertised. <laughs> <laughs>
0: God damn, you're right. All right.
1: <laughs> no, I hear you, though. And I think um, one of the things that I sort of found from reading on this is um People that are committed to still eating fish but want to do it ethically think that if we start to treat fish as like a food that we really honor and eat rarely, then you can start to infuse values like humane killing. Because, I mean, the reason they don't do it, if I mean, I'm not sure about the technology suggested, but it wouldn't surprise me, is just that this way is cheaper, you know? it's cheaper and easier. And if you need to sell seafood for cheap, then why on earth would you, would you slow down the efficiency of your boats, right? Whereas like if consumers are willing to pay more and only have fish every once in a while, um, then if it becomes sort of like a, a delicacy, then it could be done more humanely.
0: Well, I just saw an article come in today that was showing that because we're all in lockdown, Americans are eating way more fish than usual. It's like one of the few industries that's actually booming right now. So, (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Just a fun little fact.
1: (laughs) I mean, the good thing about wild caught fish, though, is that, and I think this is really significant, that they do live most of their lives just being fishies in their normal fishy and other seafood-like lives. So if we go to fish farming, you get the harms of factory farming plus the horrific death of wild caught fish. It's really the worst of both worlds unless you're talking about bivalves. They're basically plants <laughs> which
0: can't feel anything. But yeah, you were saying yeah, um in the last episode salmon living in like extremely close quarters, like it's like chicken farm or whatever. They're living like in a bathtub and they're like Huge. They're huge fish. Salmon are big.
1: Yeah, so fa- fish farming operations, they're just like um, factory farming on land. They're all really crammed together, as you point out. There are also other similar problems in terms of, like, there's a high death rate from illness because they're all crammed together. Pandemic has really taught us how close quarters fuels the transmission of diseases, so you can think about that and <laughs> think about factory fishing. There's also... Um, problems with like parasitic infestations like sea lice and also abrasion. So like the the fish that are there, they're not healthy, they're not happy. Uh, there was a study that I found that had documented that salmon bred and raised at fish factory farms are forced to grow at such an accelerate and it's such an accelerated rate that over 50% of them are going deaf. So that's cool. Um, and that's it, I mean, it's similar to factory farming on land. It, there's, like, genetic modification that happens to speed up production because they're seen as, like, production units, not as animals, right? Oh, yeah. I, I found this other sad study um, that found a significant proportion of farmed salmon suffer from severe depression. <gasps> what? How can they know that? Well, the fish are referred to as dropouts because they float lifelessly in the dirty tanks that they reside in. Oh, man. Yeah, that broke my heart when I read that.
0: Oh, it's like when you find out that cows mourn their dead or whatever. Like, it just makes you want to lie down.
1: So, yeah. um, And then the death isn't great either. So um, farmed fish are typically starved for seven to ten days before slaughter. Why? I think it's like they want the contents of the stomach to be empty. I think there's another reason, but I don't remember. But yeah, reasons. And (laughs) as you can imagine, like an animal that's used to eating regularly does not enjoy being starved for that amount of time. Fuck. And yeah, because there generally aren't rules for the humane slaughter of fish, uh, they're killed in super brutal ways, so... Sometimes they're actually just allowed to suffocate on land, which is the simplest way to kill a fish, I guess. Uh, But it takes like 15 minutes for that to happen uh, sometimes. So yeah, yeah. they're sometimes bashed in the head with a wooden bat. And if that doesn't kill them, which it often doesn't, uh, they can be cut open while they're fully conscious. Um, And again, that's a thing that there's at least some regulations around that kind of thing for land factory farming. So yeah that wouldn't even meet the very minimal standards for factory farming that we have, and then uh sometimes they also have their gills cut and they bleed to death,
0: oh wow, i mean uh <laughs> fish we were we we were talking about monk fish yesterday, right and like how how ugly they are and how it's hard to care about them. Like, it's one thing to care about a cow who is soft and fluffy and makes eye contact with you and you're like, ooh, maybe there's something going on in there. Whereas, like, fish don't have eyelids. They're very alien-looking creatures. <laughs> but it's like, listening to these descriptions, I wouldn't even want insects to die that way. And I really don't care for insects. Even though, obviously, I recognize they're a big part of the environment and we'll all die without them. I get it, but you still, yeah,
1: Yeah, and like fish can also have really complicated like social lives as well and social structures so even though they they seem a lot different from us it doesn't mean that they're simpler creatures for there there are some for which that might be true but for many others they're like really require co- like require the ability to exist in like social structures that they can't possibly be engaged in. And so you see similar things happening on fish farms um, as they do on like uh, factory farms for pigs or whatever, where they're like cannibalizing each other because they can't have their like normal social structures. Uh, so it's pretty fucked up. And I guess even if you only care about
0: the big mammals like dolphins and whales, which are super majestic and way more impressive than a fucking monkfish sorry monkfish but but even even if that's all you care about this this stuff that's happening to these fish it affects the ecosystems of more impressive animals too
1: yeah wow burn on monkfish
0: (laughs) honestly i just can't i think i had a nightmare about it last night He made me look at that picture for so long. <laughs> and then I looked up anglerfish afterwards, and it was even more nightmarish.
1: Yeah, the one fish more hideous than a monkfish. <laughs> <laughs> Although, listeners, if you know of a fish that's even more hideous, uh, please tweet at Kyla. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> it's like looking at a car, like like a train wreck. Like I can't, like I'm like I can't, I want to look away, but I just can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the conclusion that I came to is that you know, fish farms generally bad, wild caught not as bad, but I don't know, the death's pretty gruesome. So that's a more complicated issue if you're you're okay with killing and just not okay with like the really fucked up nightmare that is factory farming maybe for you wild caught seafood is okay then i don't know but all of the extra
0: fish that die when the wild caught is happening and all of the extra stuff that's destroyed it it doesn't make yeah, it better it's true. not the same as a hunter going out and catching a deer because he's not burning down the forest as he goes
1: yeah unless it's like if it's harpoon fishing or something like that then it might be yeah yeah but yeah, that's a more complicated question. So if if you're if you're not sure where you land on on that, it could be good to like look into different fishing methods. You might reasonably come to the conclusion that some kinds of wild caught fishing are okay, and others you don't think are okay because they've got a lot of bycatch. Um, people have to go with their own thoughts on this. I think. Yeah. The one uh, the one that I do think is okay for fish farming, though. Potentially, is the farming of bivalves like mussels and oysters, and that's um, that's for welfare reasons. So I've already talked about how they they probably don't feel pain and probably aren't conscious, so animal welfare concerns don't really apply to them. But also, uh, they the jury's still out on whether they harm whether these like fish farming operations for oysters and mussels harm or help the environment. And um, the reason for that is that unlike normal fish farming where you would need to feed the fish and like a bunch of pollution from like fish feces and stuff is produced, bivalves actually clean up the water. Um, They filter it out. So it can actually be a really good way to restore an environment. And there's pretty strong evidence that like a mom and pop, like a really small scale mussel and oyster farm is actually a really good thing for the environment. The only question is like um, when you Scale that up to an industrial level. Does that then cause um, environmental harms?
0: Yeah, like if this if, if our if this episode goes viral and suddenly everybody stops eating fish and only starts eating bivalves, is that going to be a problem?
1: <laughs> yeah, and actually, there's already a move to like uh, create bigger oyster and mussel farms because people are already starting to eat more bivalves, and and also bivalves are like they can be very environmentally like sensitive. Oysters, for example, have basically no immune system. So like if a disease gets in, they're fucked. <laughs> so farming is seen as a way to prevent overfishing in those populations as well. But researchers are, are still working on determining whether that's helpful or harmful for the environment or whether like there are some drawbacks that you could mitigate in different ways. Um, it's still unclear. But generally, I think probably fine. All right. Should we talk about human rights? Yeah. So um, the big issue with, um, with human rights in the fishing industry is forced labor. Um, it's a pretty big problem. Um, and one of, the sort of, one of the countries where it is the biggest problem is Thailand. So Thailand, uh, it's the third largest exporter of seafood in the world. So it's, um, seafood industry is worth about $7 billion American annually. And it's also really notorious for crewing the fishing boats with uh, slaves that are trafficked from Burma and Cambodia. Whoa! Yeah. Um, So basically what happens is it's sort of like a form of bonded labor. So trafficked fishermen are sold to fishing boat owners and then they're told that they have to like work to pay off a debt from like food or whatever, you know, room and board. Um, And then... In addition to being enslaved, the workers on ships like this are exposed to, like, overwork. They are worked for really long hours, Um, violence, torture, and even executions at sea. That's not unheard of. So every year, the U.S. State Department produces a Trafficking in Persons report. In 2014, that report basically downgraded Thailand to a Tier 3 ranking uh, due to lack of improvements in addressing trafficking. And it revealed that basically the Thai government is ignoring instances of human trafficking and uh, even has sought to punish people that are attempting to bring these abuses to light. So it's really an area where you've got government complicity in slavery. Damn it, Thailand. Be better. Yeah. So Thailand is sort of like the big example of this because its fishing industry is so huge. And because the government is complicit in the inaction, but it's also, this is an issue that actually does exist worldwide. So Southeast Asia is the biggest problem region for slavery on fishing vessels, but it occurs in a lot of different places. Some fishing operations in at least 51 countries crew their ships with slave labor. It's kind of a tricky issue to address because of the lack of transparency, right? So, first of all, if you're if you're buying from if you're buying shrimp that is purchased in Thailand or was was harvested in Thailand, and you know that, then there's a reasonable chance that it was um, it was fished using slave labor. So you could look to avoid that. But even if you do, seafood fraud is such that you may not necessarily know all the time. And actually, even if you're getting like a sustainability label, you don't necessarily know that there's not slave labor involved in that. It's like you're more likely not to have slave labor um, because there are technically standards, but it's really hard to catch. So Uh, slavery. So let's talk about sustainability labels, which is one way that we can take power over consuming seafood. Okay. So if you've been sort of really concerned about the environmental issues that we talked about in the first part of the episode, buying fish with a sustainability label is a really good idea. There are two sustainability labels that experts agree are the best. Uh, they are also the most well-known, so that sort of works out. Um, and they've got similar names, so it's easy to remember. So <laughs> the uh, first one is the Marine Stewardship Council. And basically, uh, the Marine Stewardship Council, or MSC, was founded in 1996 by the World Wildlife Fund and Unilever. So Unilever, is, um, it has been one of the leading companies on seafood sustainability for a very long time doesn't mean it's perfect by any means, but it has been much more willing than other companies to get involved with projects like that, like this and sort of like take a leadership role for the industry. So they worked in a partnership with a world wildlife fund to get this, um, third party certification standard set up. So the MSC basically has three principles that it sets its standards around. So the first one is, uh, the condition of the fish populations in the fishery. So are there enough fish to ensure that the fishery is sustainable? Is it overfished? That's the first principle. The second principle is the impact of the fishery on the wider marine environment. What effect is the fishery having on the immediate area around it, including non-target fish, marine mammals, and seabirds? That's something they have standards around. And then the third principle is the management system itself. This is more boring, but it's basically like, what are the rules and procedures that you need to have in place to meet the first two principles? So it's pretty important, even if it is boring. <laughs> yeah. I, I think most boring things are the important things. To be honest. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm, a, I'm an academic. All right. So the Marine Stewardship Council is uh, accounts for at least 10% of global wild-caught seafood, but this proportion is often a lot higher in developed countries uh, where the demand for certified fish is higher. Um, So in Canada, for example, um, about two-thirds of domestic wild-catch seafood is now MSC certified. And that actually, it, it imposes a bit of a debate because so in order to get your fishery certified, you have to be willing to pay for third-party audits. You have to have your paperwork all in order. And uh, if you're sort of like a small fishery or a fishery in a develop- a developing nation and you have sort of less administrative capacity or less capacity to pay, you might not be able to get a certification even if what you're doing is relatively sustainable. So some people have referred to this kind of a standard as um, – As a way to sort of like on the sly put in place trade barriers uh, that benefit developed countries. And that's like, that's a very real concern to raise, but also given the huge governance gap in seafood, like uh, we talked about this in the first half of the episode, there's very little domestic regulation. And also a lot of these, like a lot of fish are caught in international waters. So probably having some kind of standard in absence of nothing, I think is legitimate in this instance. Well, and I mean, it's, it costs
0: money to certify things like to, it costs money to pay people to go check on this stuff. And unless a government feels like funding that, where else are they gonna be able to afford to run themselves?
1: Yeah, and you'd really need like an international body to be willing to fund it, right? Because, I mean, if today, like the governments of Norway and Iceland and Canada and the UK all decided they were going to pay for robust regulatory standards, that would still impose the same developed developing problem, right? Uh, Because that would still shift the market away from, you know, fish that's caught, you know, off the coast of Thailand or Vietnam, right? Um, that might not be willing to put in that, put in place those regulatory rules. So it's, it's a tricky issue. I don't personally on the fishing issue because overfishing is so catastrophic. I think that that harm outweighs the possible diversion. Um, and it, it, Potentially offers enough of an incentive that you could have developing country fisheries um, that start to certify. And in fact, that's something that the Marine Stewardship Council is starting to focus on. It's not great at it, but they're they're trying. So I don't know, it's just kind of a shitty situation, but I still think getting MSC certified fish is better than not. So the Marine Stewardship Council is Generally believed by experts to be the best label, um, most of the uh, reviews that have been done around it find that it does a pretty good job of dealing with overfishing, a slightly less good job of dealing with the wider marine environment, but still pretty good. And the really the the big thing that's lacking is um, that they have very little on social standards, right? So if we talk about the human rights. Unless they've changed their standards in the last couple of years, last I looked, they had basically just added a thing saying, if you're caught being slavers, like, then we won't certify you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a pretty low bar.
1: Yeah. So it's not great, but also it is kind of a tricky thing to police. So uh, seafood's hard to deal with. So MSC, you can mostly feel really good about them, but they're not... Like, it's not a panacea. It's not going to fix those labor issues. It's not perfect on environmental measures, and you still have to deal with the horrific deaths that fish undertake from being caught. The other one is the Aquaculture Stewardship Council. Very similar name. It's got a similar story, too. It's a lot more recent, though. Um, And we talked about in the first episode how... um, Factory farming is growing really fast, so that's partly a reflection of, like, this is a newer way to get seafood. So the Aquaculture Stewardship Council was founded in 2010, and it was also founded with the involvement of the World Wildlife Fund. So, meant to be pretty similar. And uh, ASC standards focus primarily on environmental issues, so um, they do include things like pollution reduction and protections for, for biodiversity. There are also a couple of social standards, so they don't allow child or forced labor, which is good. Um, they also require safe working environments, consulting Indigenous and other communities, and um, r- having regulated working hours. So those are all good things.
0: They're noble goals, but I don't know like how, how good are they at it's, it, it's certifying places that follow
1: those rules. Yeah, so it's the best that we have, but the organization C-Choice basically did a review of ASC and MSC um, and their certifications in Canada. And with MSC, their conclusion was like, yeah, there are some weaknesses, but it's mostly pretty good. And then with ASC, they found um, a lot of bigger problems that there was evidence of non-compliance with the standards and things like that. So I would say This is much better than nothing. You're going to have a less catastrophic harm if you're using ASC certified farmed fish as opposed to not. But I don't think that frankly it's good enough to justify getting farmed fish with the possible exception of those bivalves because the harms are already minimal. So. The other thing to note with ASC is as far as I was able to tell there are no animal welfare standards at all. So if that's a concern for you, then I would I would just give farmed fish a pass except for maybe oysters and mussels. All right. So more broadly, um what should you think about when you're choosing ethical seafood?
0: I think I know the answer. Is it <laughs> don't?
1: <laughs> yeah. So for my own part, I believe that seafood is not an ethically justified dietary choice. Um, and for my own personal choice, I would only consider eating bivalves. And in that case, only if the method of either um, farming or sort of wild catching is sustainable and environmentally responsible. Uh, but for people who want to cast a wider ethical net.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> ah. Oh, but now I'm thinking of those drawstring. Yeah, nets you and- probably
1: don't want to want a wider net in seafood because that means more bycatch. But for <laughs> to say it more clearly, for people that do want to include some seafood in their diet, um, here are some things that you should think about. So the first thing is, what is the species? You can under this heading ask things like, is it overfished or not? There's a fairly long list of seafood species that you should never eat because they're overfished. Um, and I'll listing them all would take forever, but I'll, I'll list some of the more well known ones. Well known ones. So you should probably never eat bluefin tuna, Atlantic cod, Chilean sea bass, shark, Atlantic halibut, and my friend, the monkfish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, can you keep can you keep monkfish at home? I I have I have a sudden urge to go get a fish tank. <laughs> I really like. Ugly creatures. You know this. You know that if I ever got a cat, it would be a sphinx cat, because I just like an <laughs> underdog, you know? Give me an ugly pet.
1: <laughs> Give me an ugly pet. There you go. You could do your part to uh, repopulate the monkfish. Uh. We do not condone that. I don't know if you can actually... Are you? Yeah, I, I don't know that it's necessarily a good thing to do. <laughs> 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 but yeah, you, you should probably not eat those species under any conditions because they are quite strongly overfished in almost all areas. Well, like in the case of Atlantic cod, you can eat other kinds of cod that aren't Atlantic cod, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There are also a few seafood species that you can feel comfortably generally aren't being overfished. This includes oysters, although there are specific areas where oysters are um, threatened. Mussels, sardines, Pacific halibut, herring, jellyfish, mullet, and pickerel. So if you want to eat like a lot of jellyfish, you do you. (laughs) (laughs) Spread them on toast. Maybe we'll all be there by 2050. (laughs) (laughs) Spread it on toast. (laughs) Another thing you can ask about the species, if the species that you're looking at isn't one of those never always species Is what is its uh, trophic level, or in other words, like where on the food chain is it? And especially, is it an apex predator in its environment? So, apex predators play a particularly important role, but in general, um, you should try to eat as close to the bottom of the food chain as you can. That's true generally for all elements of your diet, but um, for seafood specifically as well. Uh, And the last one is uh, the might matter to you is does the species feel pain or how intelligent is it or whatever sort of characteristics might be of value to you in determining uh, animal cruelty issues. The second thing you might want to think about when you're choosing ethical fish is what was the fishing or farming method? So things like how much bycatch was produced? Does it kill coral or otherwise destroy ecosystems? How polluting is it? How cruel is this method compared to others? So If you're looking at different fishing methods, the best sort of catch methods from a sustainability perspective are hook and line fishing, harpoons and scuba, pots and traps, and purse scenes. Is
0: is there a way to know, though, like how something was caught?
1: Sometimes it will say. The best way to know is to choose a sustainability label. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Fair enough. Otherwise, it's pretty hard. But you can also, I'm going to talk about some tools at the end. And uh, some of those online tools will tell you, like, for this species, they're usually caught in this way. They usually also give you a recommendation, so you don't even really need to think about it that much. You just look at whether it's, like, recommend, don't recommend, or, like, red, yellow, or green, depending on the method. But, yeah, know that different catching methods can be more or less destructive to the environment. And so eating the same species, depending on how it's caught, can make a big difference. Uh, and you should always avoid seafood that's caught with drift nets, which are also called walls of death. <laughs>
0: cool. Some a metal name. Sounds really yeah. scary.
1: <laughs> uh, seafood that's caught with dynamite and cyanide. Don't eat it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. For multiple reasons. <laughs> um, and then bottom trawling. You don't want to be eating fish that is caught that way either. The next thing you can think about is location. Questions to ask under that are things like, how far does the seafood have to travel to get to me? And how did it travel? So if you're going to a really pricey tasting menu and you're getting seafood there that is not from your area, it was probably shipped through air freight to you. And that's not good.
0: Yeah, because that's the only way to keep it fresh.
1: Yeah. If you're if you're not like, I mean, that's like a super fancy restaurant thing. Most of the time, fish isn't air shipped, but uh, that's a thing to keep into account. The brand you can also think about as well. So is it a company, um, the company that sold it, is it a a leader or a laggard? Is it participating in things like the Marine Stewardship Council or is it not? Um, Because that's sort of how you vote with your dollars a little bit. And then the last thing, uh, is it certified? Does it have Marine Stewardship Council or um, Aquaculture Stewardship Council certification? And uh, if it doesn't, do you really know anything about where the seafood came from? Probably not. You might, like, if you're, if you're getting something that was caught at a fishery that's, like, right next to you, maybe, but usually not. Okay, um, so keeping those things in mind, how do you go about choosing ethical seafood? If you want to be a selective omnivore, uh, Teres Gresco's bottom feeder offers a really good rule of thumb that I want to share. And it's basically just eat as close to the bottom of the food chain as possible. That's what
0: I was thinking when I grabbed my anchovies, but then I...
1: Love it. And I was like,
0: oh, these were shipped from Spain. Whoops, probably not great.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But I was trying. (laughs) You were trying. You crushed it. Yeah, so um, bottom feeder also recommends that you avoid cheap seafood because that probably means it was farmed. Um, Avoid any fish that's traveled a far way. Avoid long-lived predator fish, so... Uh, Things like Chilean sea bass, sharks, tuna, swordfish. Avoid farmed shrimp, tuna, salmon, or any other carnivorous fish because they have to be fed fish meal and that has a bunch of environmental harms. Man, I really (laughs) messed up the challenge on this
0: one. I'll I'll try harder on our next one.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know. I don't know that your your salmon was farmed necessarily.
0: No, it was wild caught locally and like, packaged locally, but it's still an apex predator, like, and I knew that. I'd already done the anchovies, so I was like, salmon's okay because there's lots of it.
1: <sighs> <laughs> yeah, and if you're um, if you're buying farmed salmon, cod, or trout, uh, Bottom Feeder recommends opting for organically farmed ones. The book was written before the ASC came out, so you can think of that sort of as like an either-or, if, if you can't find ASC certified, try to get organic. They I think they have like bigger space requirements for the fish. And that's the reason that he cited. And then the last one that he recommends is opting for seafood that's um, at the lowest end of the food chain. So that's why his book's called Bottom Feeder. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in addition to those kinds of considerations, there are a couple of useful tools that can help you to pick ethical seafood because I recognize it's like, super overwhelming. You've gotten a lot of information. So the first one is uh, Sea Choice. It's the organization that did that review of MSC and ASC. They're a really good place to go if you want to get informed about sustainable seafood. They've got lots and lots of really great resources. There are also two really useful consumer guides. So the first one is OceanWise. So OceanWise classifies seafood as either recommended or not recommended. The full list uh, from OceanWise is super overwhelming, but you can also just go to their website and search it pretty easily. So, if you have um, a couple of species in mind that you want to decide between, OceanWise, their website can be a really good resource. And SeaChoice actually ranked OceanWise's resources as the best for choosing ethical seafood, so you can feel good about them. Yay, there was an OceanWise stamp on my
0: salmon, so it wasn't a total loss. (laughs) Thank you for the virtual (laughs) high five that you just gave me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the other one that you could look at is Seafood Watch. Um, Their website has kind of a similar setup. Um, You can use that to search species as best choice, good alternatives, or avoid. Um, So it'll be in that, like, red, yellow, or green category. They also have a wallet card that I don't think they've updated since 2011. So that's why I didn't put it in my research notes. But it's sort of, like, easy because it's a small size and it's easy to carry around with you. My only drawback to that is because we're overfishing so quickly, having it be out of date by a decade seems to me to be a really big problem. Yeah. So I'd recommend sticking with the website for them or for Ocean Wise if you're trying to decide. Yeah. So that that's it. That's seafood. <sighs>
0: How do you feel? I feel like I'm going to be vegan by the end of this year. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I can't I can't unlearn this stuff now.
1: <laughs> hey, maybe we'll find out that eating insects is super great and you'll go to like an all grasshopper diet. Man, I, mean, I made
0: a joke about that earlier, though, and then you were like, but they feel pain, and I was like, oh, no, you're right. They do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's fine. I I should be vegan. It's way better for the environment and animals and just literally everything, but I just, oh, man, I like salmon. That's a dumb argument, though, so
1: <laughs> I'm just gonna... Well, I mean, it is and it isn't, right? Like, uh, it, like there is something like... Super ingrained and like primal about the taste of meat, we're like cued to like it. So it is genuinely really difficult, even if you've made like the rational choice that you want. Rational meaning, like, even if you've reasoned to your own way, not to necessarily say that the only ethical choice is to be vegan. I'm not <laughs> claiming that. Uh, don't at me. Um, but even if you've come to that decision from like a perspective of reasoning, You might find it really hard to live up to because of these sort of, like, primal instincts that we have, and that is understandable, especially in a pandemic where we're all just trying to live, you know? All right, well, that's it for this week.
0: I hope people have learned something. I did. I learned that I'm going to be eating less fish.
1: (laughs) but more oysters and mussels maybe who knows
0: actually yeah do you know what i think i will do that i think that if i ever if i crave seafood i think i might do that so that is a solution that i approve of if anyone else has any suggestions or you want to talk to us about any of this you can add us on twitter at pullback podcast uh we you can also go to our website for all of the amazing research notes that Kristen does like they're incredible and everyone should definitely check those out (laughs) And our call to action, I think, should just be the same as our last episode, which is, like, write to your MP. We really need government guidance on fishing, because it's just, like, it all takes place in international waters, and there's not a lot we can do about that, so.
1: Yeah. And I guess maybe another call to action is uh, go to Sea Choices website and get a little more informed.
0: Yeah! All right, awesome. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next episode. We talked about this a little bit in the Christmas episode, but turkeys are mean, and I don't feel as bad about eating them.
1: Did I tell you there was a power outage in our neighborhood caused by a wild turkey? What? Which? Yeah, it's pretty like Canada's quaint kind of news story. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, apparently wild turkey is like a real thing here in Ottawa, (laughs) capital city of Canada.